Good morning. I'm Daisy Richardson. I'm part of the team here, and I'm excited to be with you on week two of our journey in a message we're, or a series we're calling For, um, because God is for us. And you might have heard that last week. If you were here, Pastor Steve was speaking. If you missed it, you can catch up on that. Just find us on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts, and you can look for that message to catch up. But here's the recap in case you missed it. We read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and who was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God through Jesus Christ. The big idea, God is for us because he is for us. We can be for him, and then because of that, we can move forward and be for the world around us. And Steve talked about that being part of our identity. This is more an, a piece about identity than about activity. Because of our identity in Christ, then we are compelled to move towards others. And you know, as followers of Jesus, that's true, because as followers of Jesus, we're a sent people. I was listening to J.D. Greer. It's a book that Steve referenced last week. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I started listening to it. Um, This weekend, and he put it so well. This is what he says. Our God is ascending God. He sent his best into the world to save us. Jesus is referred to as sent 44 times in the New Testament. After his resurrection, Jesus passed his identity on to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's John 20, 21. So to follow Jesus is to be sent. Now, every year about this time, we spend a few weeks focusing on this idea, and they referenced it here. Sometimes we use the language prayer evangelism. Well, why do we do it? Well, if you look at some of our values at Hillcrest, and maybe if you've been here for a long time, you remember maybe you've actually read through our Hillcrest Next paper, which is all our value statements. But if you haven't, let me read a couple of them to you so you can see how it works in we have values. We also have aspirational values, things we are hoping to become more like. And there's a couple of aspirational values that have to do with what we're going to talk about today. One of them is to be an evangelism movement. We desire to see our world and people's lives transformed by the gospel through evangelism. And number four, this is my favorite of all the aspirational values, um, is that we are for the city, a community-serving church. We desire to be in Moose Jaw's corner, fighting alongside and fighting for Moose Jaw, supporting, blessing, serving its people individually and systematically. We want to be known as a church that's invested in the success and well-being of our whole city, not a church that withdraws from the city or its people. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity for the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So we want this to be part of our DNA at Hillcrest. So if it sounds familiar, great. You've already been tracking with us. And if you haven't heard it before, welcome to Hillcrest. This is part of who we are. And there's a pattern that we like to look at from Luke chapter 10. There's got four parts to it. They might sound familiar to you. Hopefully, they do if you've been with us for a few years. 
The pattern is this, that we start with blessing, that we speak blessing. Because God is for us, we can speak blessing to those around us who might be far from him. That's what Steve was talking about last week. Today, we're going to talk about being present, spending time. That's the second one. And then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about meeting felt needs and sharing Jesus. So I hope you'll come back for those ones. So Jesus wants to come to your world, to your neighborhood, and he's sending you there in advance. Let's read that scripture from Luke chapter 10. It starts in verse 1. This is where we see the pattern. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. That's the blessing. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. That's the being present, spent time part. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Heal the sick who are there. That's when we talk about meeting felt needs. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. We declare who Jesus is. So why does God want us to be present with or spend time with those who don't know him? I'm going to tell you two New Testament stories this morning. They're ones you've heard before, but they're such great examples of what can happen when we're spending time with those who are far from from Christ. One gives us a glimpse of what happens when we're present, and another one illustrates how God can use our obedience in being present on the go, just in a moment. Um, So we'll jump right into the first story. And... uh, You know, where do we find Jesus being present with people? We find him in people's homes. We read about him in the marketplace, in the synagogue, which is the place of worship. Um, He's with tradesmen. He's on the hillside with crowds. But did you ever notice Jesus doesn't have a home to invite people to? He's never the host. But he's always very quick to be present and say yes to invitations. And sometimes we even see him invite himself over, like in the case of Zacchaeus. So we're going to read a story from Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. Who's the Pharisee? Well, the Pharisees, they're the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They're the ones who know all the rules and love to show you that they know all the rules and follow them. And often, Jesus' harshest words are directed towards this group of people because they're nitpicking about all these little things but often ignoring the heart of of the issue. So why would a Pharisee invite Jesus to their home? Well, parties and dinners were a way to sort of move up in society. They're a way to show off, to invite the latest local celebrity, in this case Jesus, and sort of just let people see how important you were by the people that you hung out with. So let's read the story. Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, 
Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Let's pause right there. Jesus often uses questions in his interactions, in his conversations, but here he's testing the religious leaders by forcing them to choose between two things. The letter of the law, which said, do not work on the Sabbath, that was that day, and an act of compassion and healing. And they just freeze at that question. They remain silent, verse 4. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Because they knew he was right. If it had been their child who fell in a hole or their ox who was in trouble, it wouldn't have mattered it was the Sabbath. They would have immediately acted and worked because it benefited them. It was valuable to them. But they had a double standard because there was no compassion for this man. To them, he was not valuable. And there's also a little bit of a double standard. If you think about this, it's the Sabbath. They're having this giant feast. Who's out there working and cooking to get this food and serving it so that they look good in front of their friends? I think there's a few double standards happening here. Or maybe it was leftover day and Gentiles were serving it to them. I don't know. But there's a few double standards happening here. Verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Verse 12, Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, for if you do, they might invite you back, and so then you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Isn't that cool? He's telling these social climbers, look, God is rich enough to repay you. When one of those at the table with him heard this, they said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So when we look at this story, what are some of the things that being present, that spending time as he joins them at this meal, lead to? Well, right away, it leads to him being watched. People are noticing how he interacts with those around him. It leads to seeing felt needs. When we're with people, when we spend time with them, when we're paying attention in conversation, we start to turn gatherings from a place of a way of moving up or looking important, like the Pharisees wanted it to be, into moving for gatherings to be a place of healing. And that's what Jesus did in this circumstance. Spending time together leads to conversation. It's as simple as that. And we know not every conversation is going to be a gospel conversation. It won't. So if you're going to be in gospel conversations, you need to be in a lot of conversations in general. Some of you think that's great, and some of you think, oh, I'm terrible at conversation. We'll get to that. 
hanging out with people, spending time, leads to understanding what their values are, what their culture is like, what their priorities are. Jesus was watching how people interacted, and even that whole part about where people sat, he was observing what was important to them. It can present opportunities to come humbly, maybe to come in a different attitude than those around you. Where do you think Jesus sat when he entered that room? Maybe he was sitting at the lowest spot, and that's why he was with the sick man, and he was close enough to reach out and touch him and heal him. Maybe he was being ushered to a better spot. We don't know that part of the story. I like this. When God shifts our heart in this area of choosing to be present, we become open to inviting those who cannot repay us. Isn't that neat? And it was talking about God's resources are enough to pay you back. Maybe, maybe that's a financial thing, but maybe we feel like, oh, I don't know, I just don't know if I could spend the time or if I could spend the energy. What if I don't have enough time? What if I don't have enough energy? His resources are enough to sustain us. He can replenish us. So why does it matter to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus? Why should we make an effort to hang out with somebody who doesn't know Christ or is on a spiritual journey and we're not sure where they're at and all those kinds of things. Well, you know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there's a couple of things that would compel us in this direction. We believe in a personal God. We actually believe that God is involved in and cares about our daily lives and that he cares about the lives of those around us. And we believe that all people are loved by God and that and need Jesus Christ as their savior because of those things because he's personal because he loves us because we all need him then some of the actions as christians we dedicate our lives and purpose to surrendering to him sherry talked about that surrendering her stuff to him that we live lives of total surrender or strive to keep surrendering our things again and again to him We believe in fellowshipping together, spending time together, and also inviting other people into that experience of biblical community. What does it look like? What what would it look like to have healthy, loving relationships as a community? And we believe that it means investing our time to fulfill God's purposes. So being present and spending time with people, it provides opportunities for us to show unconditional acceptance by welcoming our neighbors. Maybe they're not literal neighbors, but we'll use that term. Welcoming welcoming them the way that they are. It's about listening to find out where the pain and brokenness in their lives is, where the gospel will intersect their story. That's part of the chance that we have when we spend time with people is to hear their story and where God is at work. It can also lead us to identifying felt needs, and Steve's going to talk about that next week. Now, most of the time, this is a gradual process. We heard that, too, from Tom and Sherry, that it's taken, this is a gradual process. They've been building relationships. It might be spread over weeks or months or even years. But the small steps that the Holy Spirit prompts us to to take, they're just not done in a vacuum because he sees the whole picture. And it's an amazing part. We often think we get, we're kind of self-absorbed. That's just the way our culture is, isn't it? We should, it's not an excuse, but it's a reality. A little bit self-centered. 
And we just think, okay, God's just working from my side. He's prompting me. He's nudging me. And we forget about all the work that he's doing in the people around us, that he's already drawing people to himself, that his promptings to us in our daily life are not random. They're strategic because he sees the whole story. He knows just the right time to bring you along to partner with him in what he wants to do with someone's journey of faith. And he's planning transformation in lives around us all the time. And sometimes we just get an invitation to come and step alongside what he's doing and be there in a moment to ask a question or to listen to a story or to pray with them. And it's his work that he's doing. He's inviting us to come and be part of it. Tom and Sherry shared some great stuff with us this morning. Tom shared about learning to trust God um, with his family and turning those things over to him and trust him for what comes next. Um, Sherry, thank you for sharing about how you were feeling stuck and the purpose that he's given in, in shifting that pain into healing and love and courage to love those around you. Those were excellent examples. And you might be thinking right now, well, now Tom's not retired, so you can't say, well, it's because they're retired. No, and you think, well, when I'm retired, this will be much easier. Or if I was independently wealthy, or if I didn't have kids tagging along with me all the time, or if I didn't have this schedule. But here's the thing. We all have time. It just looks different. It looks different in different stages and different seasons of life. He knows that. He created us. Last fall, when we were um, talking about launching the next legacy in the capital campaign, there was a phrase that was used that I really appreciated. Um, and we talked about it, it was not about equal gifts, but about equal sacrifice. And I think there's a version of that that applies here too. It's not equal time, but equal willingness. What's the condition of your heart? It's more about the condition of our heart than about our schedule. What do you think? It's more about the condition of my heart than about my schedule and my calendar. Am I eager? Am I willing? Am I open to listen to the prompt of the Holy Spirit to connect with those around me for the sake of the kingdom? Steve said last week that his readiness and eagerness goes up as he prays. I agree. That's one of the reasons we encourage you to have a list of people that you're praying for in this area, that you're praying that they come to know Christ because your heart will shift towards them. You'll become more attentive to opportunities to connect with those specific people because you're already praying for them. Sherry, was, they were saying that they pray for their neighbors and that some of that has shifted for them. Did they always like their neighbors? Well, we hadn't given it much thought, but as they've been praying for them, that has started to change. And here's the other thing about time. He's not limited by our concepts of time. He can do things in such an instant. He can do things in his own time. And so we start to ask ourselves, well, it's about time. So does a phone call count? Yes. Does a text message count? Yes. What about a letter if you write those? Yes. What about a little chat in the line at the superstore? Yes. Okay, but the fact that we're actually checking off in our mind, what counts? What counts just shows that some of us are really wired to think we got to work our way to make God like us. That's not what this is about. 
Not at all. This is about his grace at work and in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us and him inviting us to connect um, in the work that he's doing on a larger scale. So it's not about how much time did I spend. Click, click, click. Where did it fit? If your heart is open, if your heart is willing, he'll just let it happen. I've had things that have happened. I remember there was, I was supposed to go visit. There was a newcomer woman I was going to visit, and I knew it was going to be a tricky visit because of a language barrier, and I'd sort of been putting it off. But it was on my list, and then one day it was just like right then I thought, I should go right now. And part of me sort of thought, okay, I'll just go and get it over with because it, I just thought this will be tricky. And, and I did, and I hadn't planned to go till later in the week. And I showed up. It was exactly the right time. She was home. I didn't have a way to connect with her before I got there. She was home, and she had time, and it just, like, was welcoming. And we had this connection, and I just thought, oh, thank you, Lord, for just that go now. And that, you know, that time I was obedient. I'm not obedient every time. But we're learning together, aren't we? We're learning to hear the, the voice of the Holy Spirit and to respond to his nudges. But he knows. And we've said it before. I'll say it again. I think it's really important. When you listen to the Holy Spirit and you obey, that's success. Don't even worry about what the outcome is. That's in his ballpark. That's his responsibility. It's not my job. Obedience is success. We listen, obey, that's success. We're going to jump into the second story that I mentioned. And this is a story of what can happen when we are listening and responding on the go in the moment. And it's not about investing hours and weeks and months of time. It's just quick and on the go when we welcome the Holy Spirit's interruption, as it were, into our day. And the story comes from Acts chapter 8. This story happens after Jesus has died. Now he's risen back to life, and he's sent his followers on a mission. And Jesus has now returned to heaven. So this is a story about one of those men who was one of the original disciples and an apostle, Philip. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. There it is. He listens and he obeys. It's kind of vague, but he obeys. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. It sounds a little exhausting. I wonder how fast the chariot was going. Verse 30, then Philip ran up, well, he's running, so it's going. He ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asks. He opens the conversation. How can I, the official said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip is quick to say yes to that invitation. And this is the passage of scripture the man was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. It's Isaiah 53 that he was reading. The eunuchs asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This was not on Philip's plan for the day, but he listened. He went, even though it was vague description, go to this road, head that way. That was it. It wasn't go and watch for a chariot. It was just go this direction. He went and he saw. He was quick to respond. And then he started. Do you see how the Holy Spirit was already at work in the man in the chariot? Like he had actually gone to Jerusalem to worship. He just didn't know the Jesus part. And he's reading this. And so God is already at work in this man. And Philip just comes at that moment to say, oh, I can tell you what that means. Here's what it means. And then they don't waste any time. This guy gets baptized on the spot. Which, by the way, if that's your next step of obedience in your journey with Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that. It doesn't take a long time, obviously. This man believes, and instantly he gets baptized as to show what God has done in him. So it's a setup for Philip, isn't it? The guy's already reading something. His mind is already thinking. His heart is already wondering. He wants an answer. And Philip just gets to be the guy who goes and says, Oh, I can help you with that. Wouldn't that be fun to be that? To get to be that, to just be, oh, God's already working. He's already got all this stuff. I'm not, I'm just coming along and he's using me in this moment. I think that's so exciting that God can work like that. So we see a couple of different ways. You know, sometimes when we think about spending time, we're thinking about investing. We are thinking about investing long-term. And for you, maybe there's family members. Well, that's a long-term relationship, right? That can go on. And sometimes those are even harder. Um, but it can happen like that. But God can also, it can happen in that conversation in the, in the grocery store or someplace else. Um, now, some of you right now might be thinking, okay, but if this is about talking to strangers every moment of my day, that sounds exhausting. I don't think I can do that. And some of you are just wired to talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere, like my father, and you can just strike up that conversation, and God will use that too, but we're not all like that, and that's okay, okay? So don't assume that it's always a new face. Maybe your chance encounter in that day is with somebody that you've known for a long time, but you've been disconnected, or you just didn't know, and there's just that moment of opportunity. It's not always about, oh, I need to be ready to meet new people. That might not be the case. I'm confident that he has already placed people in your sphere of influence, in your world, that he's drawing to himself. It might be a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, or maybe a longtime friend. And here's the thing that makes me so excited. Hillcrest, you're doing it already. And I know this because I am hearing more and more stories. And one of the ways I'm hearing the stories is at the Good News prayer meetings, which if you haven't been to, there's one coming up a week from tonight at 6.30. And this is what we do. We encourage each other in this area. We do a little bit of learning together. Then we pray for the people that are on our list. We pray for the people in our, in our spheres that we want to be drawn to Christ. And it's great. And so here's some of the stories that I've heard recently, sometimes at the Good News prayer meetings and sometimes just on the go. One retired man talked about seeing a man who walks regularly in his neighborhood. And so they chatted a bit outside and now they've had a chance to go for coffee a few times. A woman told me that she was already at home in her pajamas, sort of early in the evening, but ready to just call it a night, when she got a call from a new friend to come over. 
and she felt like this was an important invitation, important next step in the friendship, and so she got dressed and she went. And that was very not normal for her schedule. I can't ever say enough about the wonderful volunteers that are involved in our English language classes every week at Bridges and Let's Talk. And there are classes for newcomers to Canada. And I know that so many of them, they're connecting in creative ways outside of class on their own time, um, showing up to people's businesses to have a chat or visiting in homes. It's so encouraging to me. One man talked about being intentional about engaging homeless men in conversation, learning their names, finding out who they were, and seeing them again and again. Another man told me about waiting for a pizza order, you know, in one of those tiny little pizza places where there's really not a restaurant. You just kind of go to pick it up. But there was a bunch of young guys already eating their pizza there. And when he came in, they greeted him and invited him to join them while he waited. And so he sat and he visited, had this great visit. They were newcomers to Canada. It was awesome. But if you're going to do that, don't leave your wife waiting in the van. All right. Otherwise, it's a great story. I won't tattle on who that was. A Hillcrest woman also talked to me about her exercise group in the pool, that she's always being intentional about learning people's names in the group that comes to do, I don't know what they call it, aquasize or something like that. And she's watching, she's praying for them as they're doing their exercises. She says, it's great because you have to put your hands up like this. And I can be praising the Lord as I do it. And nobody even knows, she says. But she's eager to have conversations when swimming is over. Um... What about your service providers? You've already got an appointment, a time, and a place to meet with them. A man told me about his barber, and he was getting his hair cut, and his barber started talking to him about having to have gone to a funeral. And this Hillcrest man was intentional about having a conversation with him around all of the, the grief and the dying. And he told me afterwards that he, there was things he wished he would have said, but next time I'm going to talk to him more about it, he said, because you know eventually you're going to need another haircut, and you're going to go back. Another friend has been going for... Has, neck and back issues and has been going for ongoing massage therapy and is having these amazing spiritual conversations with her therapist. This is great if you don't like eye contact. You just talk like this. Maybe it's your chiropractor. Maybe you have a chiropractor. You could do the same thing. You don't even have to look them in the face and just ask them because they, they're chit-chatty people, right? Our service providers, chit-chatty people. Well, what if you just jumped in the conversation and asked them how they really are? I'm excited to hear, and I haven't even heard most of your stories. These are just a few stories that I've heard recently. But it's exciting to hear how you're being obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in just everyday life and choosing to be intentional and be present with others. So here's how we're going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up with a quick barrage of some action steps, and maybe you can identify one of these things where you think, that's my next one. You don't, don't do seven, just pick one and say, this is my next one. And then we're going to spend a few moments praying. So here's some action steps for how we can exercise this muscle of being ready and on call for God to use us. First of all, maybe you need to set aside your own labels. Maybe you say, but I'm an introvert, but I'm shy, but I'm busy, but I have no money, but I, God's not just calling extroverts who are retired. He knows you. He made you. And he'll still call us into his kingdom plans. So set aside those labels if they're standing in your way. 
Number two, practice saying yes. Maybe this is the next step for you. Practice saying yes to invitation or opportunities to connect. We get these all the time. You bump into somebody, they're like, oh, we should have coffee coffee sometime. And you say, yes, we should. And then you walk away and you never think of it again. Well, what if you actually did? What if you actually did make the plan and go for coffee or whatever the thing is that they're suggesting? Just practice saying yes more than you have before. Number three, maybe practice, you need to practice offering the opportunity to connect. So maybe you're the first one to send the text or the email or to make a phone call if you still do that. You can make connecting. We can, we can make in our heads connecting like too hard. And we think, well, it has to be perfect. It has to be this day of the week. It has to be this time. My house has to be completely clean. And then we just make it so, so difficult that it never happens. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making it as simple as possible. Simple hospitality. If you're, if you're inviting them, remember that Jesus had no home to invite people to. Somehow this still happened. And maybe it's not even your home. There's all sorts of ways we find common ground go for a walk. Maybe you're already part of the same kind of club, or maybe you're just going to eat lunch with your coworkers instead of staying at your desk while you eat your lunch. Or maybe you're going to have a backyard barbecue like Tom and Cherry talked about. I know you're filled with creative ideas if that's your next step to practice offering opportunities. Number four, if you haven't done this yet, I would say, I'm going to change my mind. You should pick two things. If you haven't done this one, you must do this one today. And then you can pick another one as your next step. Make a list of names to adopt in prayer. If you haven't done this already, do it. Even if you start with one or two names on that list and just start praying for them regularly that God will draw them to himself and that he'll make you aware of opportunities to connect and be in their life. You'll be surprised at how often you might bump into this person suddenly and the things that will start happening. So start making that list. Maybe, you have to, maybe you're already into a list. You're like, I got the family list. I have the neighbor's list. I have whatever. That's great. Keep praying for those people. Number five, remember this is about prioritizing relationship, not an activity. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing to spend time together. You're walking your dogs or you're watching your kids play at the park or anything like that. It's about the spending time with the person, not about, oh, I have to think of a super creative thing to go and do and make it fun. Number six, we're almost there. Be alert to the Holy Spirit's nudges and respond quickly in obedience The more we practice this, the better we get at responding quickly. So you can talk to the Holy Spirit. This is a good practice as you're, like, especially if you're going to visit somebody, you know you're about to go and encounter maybe it's one of the people you've been praying for. Talk to him on the way. You can talk to him in the moment while you're there. Talk to him as you leave. Bless them as you're moving towards them, as you're leaving. Pray blessing on them. You can pray for more love for them. Tom was telling us a little bit about that, about learning to really love. You can pray that for them as well. And the final one, number seven, eagerly anticipate the next step in the process. Just think, what might you have next, Lord? What could be the next part? What what are you doing in this person's life? And you'll be amazed at what he continues to do in your own heart as you respond in obedience. I'd invite the worship team to come back right now, and we're going to spend a couple minutes praying. One of the things that came to my mind, I I wonder if some of you might struggle right now, as I have. We've, We've went through a different season for a few years, and it became kind of comfortable to avoid 
people <laughs> or withdraw from people. And maybe you've just realized, oh, that's kind of my primary mode of operation now. I just find that I'm just avoiding people and withdrawing from them. And I've kind of got stuck there that I, I don't want to connect. Would you just take a moment with me right now and just confess that to the Lord. Say, I don't, I don't think I've even wanted this, but would you shift my heart? You just take a moment and speak with him right now about it. And whether that's you or not, would you take a moment right now as well and say, Lord, who do you want me to be present with this week? And we're just going to take a moment and let him drop a name or a face in your heart. It's okay. You're not being rude if you need to pull your phone out and just make a little note. Put a little reminder in your calendar. I think it's this person that I need to connect with. Maybe he's given you a name right away this morning. Maybe it'll come to you later. Maybe when you bump into them, you'll realize this is who I need. This is who it needs to be. Now, I realize that not everyone who's in this room or who's joining us online this morning is a follow, necessarily a follower of Jesus. And maybe this is the only piece that you needed to hear today. It's what we read at the very beginning, 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Good, good morning, Emma. should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning that he is for you not against you and his plans for you are good and if you don't know him you could start that journey today you could be taking the first step and say i want to be i want to be part of this i want to understand how you're for me god and how jesus fits into that <laughs> There's not magical words, but if you're not comfortable with coming up with your own words, or you just think, oh, well, I just, where do I start? You could pray something like this. Father, thank you that you love me, that you're for me, and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you take your first step in that journey today, we'd love to know. Tell somebody you came with or someone you're watching with. You can tell us. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to pray as our closing prayer. We're going to pray Psalm 143, what Tom and Sherry were reading we're going to pray this together as our prayer of commitment, of listening and trusting and walking with him. And it turns so we pick the same words. All right. Lord, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I'm trusting in you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. 
Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Amen. You can just stay standing. We're gonna, the worship team's going to lead us.